Jer. Hi, Kyle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to Draw Without Dying, the podcast for artists who struggle. I'm Jer. I'm a software engineer who's been drawing comics since he was seven. And I'm Kyle. I'm a writer and artist with a flair for the melancholy. And we're here to talk about making art and enjoying art, especially indie art, here in the modern world. Because it's incredibly difficult. We are streaming this live at twitch.tv slash ironoki, where we are chatting with chat, uh, hanging out with my cat. So if you want to be part of the conversation or see a kitty cat and push a button to give her treats, uh, you can join us at uh, twitch.tv slash ironoki. Kyle, what are you drawing tonight? Uh, I am working on my horror comic of this light. I am just doodling. I have uh, Pinterest up, actually, and I just got some some cool outfits and some cool dancer poses and just some, some just a miscellaneous inspiration that I'll be drawing just for fun. Tonight, the topic is creating artist communities. It's something that I have remarkable experience with. And I have some experience with. Kyle and I, and actually most of my friends, I met through a comic artist club uh, that I organized in 2011. It was called Seattle Independent Comic and Game Artists. Called Sakaga for short, which is hilarious if you speak Spanish. <laughs> so yeah, we met... Pretty much like every Tuesday for 12 years, when COVID hit, we shifted to online and streaming, which is how we got to where we are tonight. Mm -hmm. Boy, did I learn a lot. Yeah. Uh, learned a lot from other people, made a lot of friends. I've met over a thousand people, which is horrifying. <laughs> so uh, that's what we're going to talk about tonight is why to make a, uh, an artist community, how to make an artist community, what, you know, how to make it successful, some of the, some of the lessons learned that we've been through. Kyle. You were an event organizer before we met. What was what what did you do? Uh, so the main thing I did was back in college. I was the president of the student writers union at my college, and that was a really fantastic experience. And I kind of wish I uh, it, it's it's something I've wanted to recapture for a long time. But uh, the story of that club is kind of interesting. I I joined it as a freshman in college. And at that point, the club was less than 10 people and everyone other than me was a senior. Hmm. Uh, so very rapidly, I would be the only one left in the club. I, I think uh, one of the uh, previous members did end up sticking around for one more semester. But uh, it, it became pretty clear pretty early on that I was going to be taking it over. And my <laughs> predecessor before then was the only member left for for a time the the previous president had just sort of dipped and dropped it and so she built it up to what it was with a bunch of her friends passed it on to me uh i had some momentum i think like i said i had about a a semester to prepare with with the old members to start getting new members in and then i continued to build it up i i would say i got it off of life support and then yeah. passed it on to uh our friend fable actually hmm. uh who, who took it over after me I actually didn't know that part of the story. Uh, but yeah, I was organized events. We, you know, met uh, relatively weekly, talked about writing, made a lot of friends that way. A lot of, you know, one way or another, a lot of my old college friends are from there. Not necessarily uh, because so many of my friends joined joined the club because uh, they were my friends, not because they were interested in writing. Uh, but I needed I needed people particularly early on. Uh, so that just sort of became a club for me and my various friends who were vaguely interested in storytelling to uh, to meet. And yeah, that, that was some stuff happened. I, I, uh, now I feel very complicated about running groups, yeah. but I, I very much want to recapture that sometime. So let's see. Why should we make artist collectives? The 12 years that I ran Chicago were fulfilling to a degree I don't think I could summarize. 
Um, it was a huge growth moment for me artistically. It was a huge growth moment for me socially. I developed social skills that I lacked by running the group. A lot of what I know about art either came from art school or from talking to people and networking through the through the comic club. All of like almost all of my friends I met through that specific group, to the point that now that I'm I'm not not really uh, involved with it, it's a little bit a little bit tougher to actually meet people. I've noticed. Mm-hmm, I, have mm-hmm. to, I have to put a little bit more energy into it. Having that regular cadence of uh, social activity is fantastic. My choice of medium shifted <laughs> over the mm-hmm. over the time that. Uh, that I was in Chicago. I was originally a digital artist, and we had a really cool mix of both uh, digital and, and traditional artists, which is something I feel like it's a it's a hot-button topic, I find, for a lot of people where they're like, oh, I, I don't know if I'd fit in with this group. I do the wrong kind of art. And Sakaga, for what it, for what it was, like was very inclusive at, no, use the right tool for you. And I mm. think we really kind of like baked that into who we were, and it, it's like... To, to hear other people talk about artist communities, like it, it feels like that that particular digital versus traditional becomes like an exclu- exclusivity thing. So I'm really mm-hmm. glad that we had that because that enabled me to shift. Like I thought that digital was better <laughs> originally. Mm-hmm. And just being surrounded by uh, you know half the crew being traditional artists, I realized, oh, I have more fun with with traditional art. I am doing art more when it's traditional, and I need a reason to look away from a monitor because I work on code all day and play video games. Mm-hmm. I simply could go on about all of the good things that that happened to me because I was uh, never mind being a uh, never mind running it, being a member of that community. Two talking points we should we should consider is like info for people that want to join an artist community and info for people that want to start an, an artist community, and you know the the differences therein. Uh-huh. So where should we start? Should we start with the making or should we start with the uh, joining? I kind of think joining because uh, if if the options to join one aren't available because of location, then you might have to make one. <laughs> I'd actually, there's, I think we should start with joining, but I'd actually like to ask you, because I, I kind of just answered this question, why should you join or start an artist community? There's a few. Part of it is friends, uh, if you're an artist, particularly from my perspective, uh, a self-employed artist, I don't leave my house, <laughs> and friends are nice. There's also, like, networking is one of those big scary business words, but going to a place you have fun, and talking to other people who also do things similar to what you do, is a way that you can meet people who might be helpful for your development, whether that is skill building, or who knows, maybe work or part- uh, collaboration down the line. See also our previous episode on collabs. A, a case in point on that is like I consider myself pretty good at printing. Our friend C is like a like worked worked at a print shop and had knowledge that I lacked. I was like, oh, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And mm-hmm. so it's little little things like that where it's like, oh, there's knowledge that I could fill in just because I know a person. Yeah, and uh, particularly if you're having a hard time doing thing like even getting started having that regular time to go and focus on your craft whether it be in discussion or be a do thing group that can be very helpful there are also different types of artist communities too there Mm -hmm. there are the kind that are more discussion based and the kind that are more like just sit around and do the thing based and yeah not every one of them works for everyone but there there's a lot of use to both i think that's a really good point because uh one one of the things that i learned running the group was 
like we had a specific vibe. Uh, mm-hmm. We were like, I, I got the idea from friends that I knew through conventions that took me to a drink and troll. And I said, a drink and troll is a great idea. I think I will do that regularly. That was one of the seeds that led to uh, led to the group. There were others, uh, other groups that kind of sprung up in that time. Uh, one other one that was really focused on playing drawing games, which we did a little of and kind of moved away from because our community ended up being more folks working on long form projects. And then mm-hmm. another group that was just about the art and focused on like art skills, grinding art skills, having uh, a model present. Uh, and then another one was very much about let's collaborate. Let's all do things together. And that's four distinct communities that each had like a reason for being. And it was cool because they I never felt like we were competing with anyone. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. people would, would show up and kind of try out the different ones and, and gravitate towards the one that had the vibe for them. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of different ways you can go about making it. A lot of my early experience in Seattle, as far as joining is concerned, was with writing groups. Uh, when I moved here, I found you know three three groups I stuck with regularly. I think I, I popped around to at least a dozen. But uh, there was Sakaga, obviously, and then two writing groups. One was a critique group, and the other was a just sit down and write group. Got it. The ones I ended up really sticking with were the the do things groups, which was Sakaga for for drawing and the writing group for writing. The critique group though did definitely add something. It kept me thinking about stories i the one time i passed a story around through it i got a lot of feedback that wasn't really helpful but i did get a lot of i got a lot more out of listening to other people's works get critiqued than listening to my own get critiqued (laughs) Mm. it helps to be around other people doing the same things you are because they're going to have a different perspective and different approach how do you join an artist group well if you're in college lucky (laughs) you there is probably one somewhere oh everything's easier in college yeah, uh, it's it's a lot easier just to meet people in general uh, in those times. But as an adult, I'm still going to champion meetup, not sponsored. Um, it's still it's not as good as it was. COVID definitely took a hit on it. But I I have been looking into maybe trying to find some new groups, and they they do still exist on meetup. There there are still groups to be found. Kind of a uh, I guess it's kind of a social media service. It doesn't really feel like one, but it's like a uh, a website specifically, a service specifically for advertising and organizing social groups, essentially. I know a lot of folks, a lot of folks have had success like actually using uh, Facebook's meetup tools. I, yeah, like uh, there's there's a number of um, of groups that exist entirely on Facebook and, and Facebook does actually have some pretty decent tools for it. Uh, the old, uh, the, the concert house that, that you and I used to go to, uh, they, they existed entirely on Facebook and, and it was just, it was the right tool for the job. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, I found a lot of music, uh, stuff through Facebook one way or another. As, as we all know, uh, social media has pros and cons. And, uh, unfortunately is not static, particularly right now. So it's possible, you know, this is all at time of recording, in August 17, 2023, we say that Meetup kind of works. Facebook kind of works. Yeah. Oh, you know what's actually kind of a good one? Uh, libraries. Libraries tend to have... Really? Uh, yeah, they, they, they tend to have events and sometimes people that might be able to at least point you in the direction of regular things. Um, them being a regular venue for something might not be the case. They do tend to have event boards. So if someone is uh, like recruiting or not really recruiting, but advertising a group through posters, they probably would have them up in a library. 
Yeah, I know that uh, you and Codigan actually uh, frequent libraries a lot more. I don't. I I have not ever really gotten into them, and I probably should because that was not something that even occurred to me. Once you do find an artist group, let's let's talk about what to do once you want to once you want to show up. I think the people that were most successful at at my group were folks that didn't come with huge expectations and stuck around. I think those are the mm-hmm. two main things. So you don't know what this group is going to be like. You can't go in expecting it to be like something. You kind of have to dive in and let it be what it is, discover what it is, and decide whether it's your vibe or not. Mm-hmm. It's very good to plan on going two or three times because I don't think you're going to get what the group is about on the first on the first try. You kind of like once once you go a couple of times, you'll start to see you know what what was a one off. What was kind of like an oh that that awkward thing happened, but that was just that one time. Oh, actually, these guys really have this this sort of vibe going on. And then once you've gone two or three times. People start to recognize you, for one, which is very nice. And then you start to be able to bring a little of who you are to that community. So I think that's, like, one of the things that I think, like, when people dive in, it's like, oh, I don't like this. Like, kind of, like, decide really fast. Don't realize that by being part of a group, like, you can be, you can make the group just a little, just a smidge more like you. And let yourself kind of become a part of that group and let yourself become a little bit more like that group. So it's kind of a little two-way exchange that goes on. And when you become a regular and you start bringing who you are and, and, and your, your cool, nice, cool, like good person vibes to that group, it makes the whole thing healthier. Everyone else gets mm-hmm. a little something out of it. You get a little something out of it. So yeah, try not to judge it immediately. Try to give any group that you 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 check out like you know just a little bit of time to 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 get the whole idea. That said, if you're not digging it, you're not digging it, mm-hmm. and that's why it's nice that oh hey we we had four different groups in our town. If one's not your vibe, that's cool. Try out the other one. That one might actually be your vibe. Where we actually had folks come in that said. Eh, not really my thing okay that's cool uh, you should try out this one or this one i got kind of a different vibe and then other people are like yeah i tried out that one it wasn't really my vibe but i'm digging this mm-hmm. and it, like it totally happened both ways and we were real chill about it yeah there's definitely a um a vibe check essentially like mm-hmm. there is definitely like kind of like in in joining groups in general you're probably not going to find a perfect group just out the gate you know finding one that is close to your vibe and sticking with it and getting used to it is definitely yeah a thing i i think there is still like a vibe check is still important you might go somewhere and immediately just feel put off and if that's not the one for you then oh, by yeah. all means dip <laughs> but... sometimes you get creeped out and you got to go yeah protect yourself that can happen too the the importance of a first impression is a little more subconscious than maybe uh it should be like be be more aware like just because you didn't feel perfectly comfortable the first time it might be better the next time you know here's actually an interesting way to describe this got it the idea of the comfort zone the growth zone and the panic zone okay i'm interested please go on the comfortable uh zone is the place where you are this is definitely like psych 101 bullshit so whatever. <laughs> uh, 
but uh comfort zone is a place you go you're completely comfortable you're not really uh extending yourself you're not uh, expending more spools or spoons than necessary you're comfortable there you're only with people you know you're not really like it is it is a very safe place the growth zone is going a step beyond that to a thing that's a little bit uncomfortable a little bit stresses you out a little bit anxious but it offers the ability to grow your horizons expand your comfort zone even get you a little more of what you want uh, beyond that is the panic zone, where you're just fucking terrified, not having fun, can't think about anything, and just screaming on the inside. Um, you want to try and get yourself into the growth zone. I like this. This is definitely a problem I have right now is where, like, the the, the gap between my comfort zone and panic zone is real, real small right now. And I'll probably talk about that later on in the conversation and how that's the problem I'm having right now. Yeah. It's the thing to keep in mind. Boundaries is definitely a factor when it comes to either joining or or managing a community. It's definitely a struggle I had, and it's definitely one of the contributing factors that led to me kind of like, I'm done. <laughs> I do my best to have the benefit of the doubt for like the way that a person behaves, but there are toxic people out there. It's also... Uh important like even if you can understand why someone behaves a certain way it's not always your responsibility to be you know the the patient you know guiding hand that's <laughs> sometimes true. if someone makes you uncomfortable it's okay to just be uncomfortable and do something about it yeah and i think one of the biggest challenges be you know being the one that that started the group the one in charge of the group was being the one that like oh this is a toxic situation i have to handle it that mm -hmm. was that is not something i ever enjoyed doing and it I, I certainly like leaned on my friends to say, "Am I? Just, do I need to step in? Is this is this the situation?" Mm -hmm. Another one that like sort of a quick quick cautionary tale, as as vague as I can. People will expect a lot from you, and mm -hmm. I think it's important to set your boundaries. And in my case, I really didn't know what my boundaries were, <laughs> mm -hmm. so I, I really wouldn't have been able to set the boundaries until I realized like all of these things that can happen uh sort of the benefit of uh my college group of just we were all fucking dumb kids and had no idea of anyone's boundaries which somewhat made dealing with those issues a little less stressful because mostly people just blew up in a really immature <laughs> and it was never specifically well, on me <laughs> that that solves the problem easily but yeah um it gets really complicated because people are very diverse and people are mm -hmm. coming from very diverse backgrounds uh, varying levels of, of neurodivergent and you want to be inclusive but you also don't want to enable toxicity and you don't want to enable uh, people asking more of you than you are capable of, of giving and mm -hmm. that's kind of like one of the more challenging parts of it it's fine you learn it as you go the good people in the world have your back and if you're you know, you, if you're unified as a community, y you'll be able to handle, like, the toxic person when they come through. Uh, Kimmy in chat brings up some good examples. Uh, finding boundaries for me is, like, I can deal with an old guy reciting poetry because he's just really into poetry. Even I learned to appreciate poetry through his appreciation. Mm -hmm. But if people are making offensive jokes or members are acting poorly and the organizer doesn't do anything, then that's a line in the sand for me. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. A really, really good case in point is... Um, there's a, there are there are types of neurodivergent where a, a person can be blind to body language. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and and they can not realize that it, that they're overwhelming another person. These are the sort of times where you can get to know that person, and you know, learn. Oh, you just don't you don't see body language. Got it. So you can be able to say, "Hey, uh, you're you're kind of overwhelming people." And when you have a rapport with that person, that becomes possible. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. So. There's there's situations that like are completely handleable, you know, and and so yeah, most people really aren't actually malicious, but some are, and they need to go. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm definitely in a place in my life where I want to go to or start or do some other creative groups. I've tried to start a new one, and I got just that was definitely just put me straight into the panic zone. Uh, and I realized I kind of need to ease myself into things. The problem here is I am, as I would describe it, socially atrophied. Uh, I like. I yeah. was always socially anxious, but I, the I, I've been quarantined for three years. I barely leave my house because I'm self-employed now. I, most of the social experiences I have even had, uh, even before pandemic, were negative because I worked in customer service. Mm. Uh. I'm just real fragile with new people right now. So, okay, I'm walking back my plan on starting a new group, even though that is kind of what I really want to be doing. I just, it's not good for me right now. So I'm trying to get myself in a position where I can start going to more groups and checking them out. So I like that starting point because that's definitely one of the big whys as to why you'd start a community. Mm -hmm. And certainly we're talking about artist communities. I learned so much about social interaction and built up some like really solid social muscle that I lacked before. I came from a place that you just described. Starting the group and running the group for so long like was just a social workout. It was lifting social weights and doing social endurance training every week for 12 years. I learned so much. I learned that mistakes aren't even the end of the world. Uh, even if it's even it still takes a lot of energy and even if it's still scary i learned how to talk to a new person Mm -hmm. for a while those skills seemed limited to the group but as i worked out more and then started taking more chances i realized that a lot of those skills that i was learning in our in our little group were applicable to more and more situations i went to a um a meetup a couple weeks ago uh, i was telling you about a lot of people were like, oh, so you're just an extrovert. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just a very strong introvert. <laughs> so certainly, like, a theme that you and I talk about on the show is like, social spoons and, you know, like, the energy it takes to, to do things, uh, to do thing. Doing the, doing the group really made me think of social interaction as something that takes energy but is worth it, like working out. Mm-hmm. Where you know you go for a run, you lift some weights. It feel it like it feels bad while you're doing it, and it takes energy. But after you do it, there's like these benefits that start flooding in. Being able to not fixate on that immediate. Oh, hey, I I fucked up, and now I'm embarrassed, and I feel bad, and I hate it, and it's time to panic. Zooming out to like the week long view or the month long view of saying, Oh, that one embarrassing thing wasn't actually that big of a deal. I still went out and all of these good things happened there. And then I felt all of these good feelings afterwards. And yeah, I did that one social fuck up, but it really like, it it didn't actually have any effect on me or any of the people there that wasn't possible 
until I was really in like social groups a lot and able to process it properly, I think. Yeah, running the group put me in an incredibly good place uh, where I'm, I'm capable of socializing on, to a level that I never even thought I could be at. But it was some work, though. The analogy to working out is very one-to-one. -one. I would say that the gains I got in my social skills compared to the work I put in is very analogous to push-ups and sit-ups and going running and, and weight training and endurance training. It's That's the amount of work it was. And I, like, ditto that, that metaphor to the point where I would say, like, my problem right now is I need, like, social PT. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. That is a fantastic metaphor. That's a great way mm -hmm. to take the metaphor, like, even farther. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I like Meetup a lot, uh, conceptually. I am, I am too weak. I am too weak currently uh, to start my own Meetup group I have found. But I, I intend, you know, in the next coming weeks, I'm, I'm going to try and at least go to a couple of events and see if I can't get some traction and not just become paralytic. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, nope. we're trying to tell people how to do this successfully. So let's let's actually yeah. <laughs> let's move on. Let's let's focus on how to do this well. So let's let's use Meetup for an example because that's what I know. But I want to talk generally in ways that like would apply to whatever tools may arise in the future or whatever other social media tools there are. And like a broken record, the first step of the process is do thing. Do, mm -hmm. do you want to, did you think about starting the group? Hey, go to the social media, make the group, po post it, push the, push the publish button. Meetup is very good because when you, when you publish a new group, uh, people that follow those tags get, uh, get alerts, schedule the first event. Let's roll back the clock to 2011. Mm -hmm. I had the idea for, oh, let me just do a little little drink and draw series. I'm going to host it at the bar that I can walk to from my house. So it's easy for me to get to. I'm going to put it on the calendar, say it's going to happen at this day, at this time, publish it, put it out to, to Meetup, which, which is very interested in, in getting people to see the thing. And if no one shows up, I will just kind of have an evening alone. And and I'll just I'll just draw at the bar. At least I'll be out of the house. That's worst. The worst that can happen is that no one shows up, and I'm just kind of hanging out and drawing at a at a bar that I'm that I that I frequent. Best case scenario, people show up. Three people showed up, and then that was a group for twelve years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And continuing as K Penguin now runs it. The first step is do thing. Once it's there, set a regular cadence. Make it predictable. There was kind of this weird thing that we did for a while in the first uh, in the first couple of years, where after it kind of started getting traction and people became regulars, we alternated between a bar and a coffee shop, and that was fun for everyone that got it. But mm -hmm. what was tricky was when new people showed up, tr like realizing it was it was more than one sentence to explain, mm -hmm. and so it became fun for everyone that was already a member but kind of complicated for anyone trying to ramp up to what you were doing so i really saw a lot more success keeping it at a place you know keep whatever keep it at this place at this time keep it really really consistent now i say that but one of the other groups they moved around from bar to bar 
because they were kind of like part of their vibe was bar hopping. Mm-hmm. Now, I would argue that that's still consistent, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we are a, we are a bar hopping art group. We we're gonna we're gonna pick a bar and we'll go to it at like at this rate. So consistent and consistent. Consistently inconsistent. Inconsistent. Yeah. But the vibe was there and the explanation was there. Oh yeah, we bar hop. We mm-hmm. we pick a place and we go there to draw. That's very easy to explain. That whole thing is like oh every oh, every one Thursday we'll be here and the next Thursday we'll be there. We're already too many words. So, yeah. like, kind of pick a vibe, stick to it, change it if you need to, but only if you need to. One of the things that, that hit us was th- the bar that we hung out at for the longest time just got super-duper crowded, and, like, our group kept getting squeezed tighter and tighter in the corner, and we needed to find another place. Yeah, that consistency really helps, and it helps people know that it, you're there for them to go to. Some advice I got. Pick when if you're trying to set up a group, you know, do do what's comfortable for you. Don't worry about like the time that's optimal like for this. everyone else. You're yeah. the one fucking running it, so yeah, do what you want to do, and just open it up for other people to come hang out with you, essentially. And the other like piece of advice was uh, get it get it to a point where it is regular enough that it can run itself. <laughs> uh, I think that helps with the whole like boundaries problem. <laughs> Reader, uh, leader of my writing group kind of got it to a point where like she didn't have to be there the writing group would still meet up and self-govern and yeah j- j- generally ran fine those are things to keep in mind definitely i think that was always like challenges a, i think it was always kind of like a, an ultimate goal of mine with with Chicago was uh i want to run this for as long as i'm still having fun with it but i want it to be strong enough to exist without me and it turns out that happened so yay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. checking in on chat Worse for me, says Kimmy, uh, people see low RSVPs and cancel at the last minute, and they feel guilty they didn't feel comfortable attending. Yeah, I re- definitely ran into that where um, regulars would just show up and not hit the RSVP, RSVP button, so from the outside mm-hmm. it kind of looked like a dead group. Yeah, I do support kicking people's butts to push the RSVP button. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to it. You know how many people are coming. You can tell the restaurant or bar that you're going to. Oh, yeah, we're expecting 12 people tonight. Oh, where it's going to be a slow night. We're only expecting four, you know. So, really, kicking people's butts about RSVP is very helpful as an organizer. Speaking of Chicago, there was a small amount of time where I was kind of trying to set up a Chicago stream night. Um, we we messed with this for a bit, but the main problem was finding a venue. Actually, I'd like to, I'd like to to tell a bit of that story to start because this was pre-COVID. Sure. Yeah, streaming was a thing. Uh, our friend Craig, uh, also known as RoboLeader on uh, on Twitch. So RoboLeader was, you know, very excited about streaming. We were very excited about streaming. And we liked the idea of, oh, man, we got this, this crazy cool thing that we do as a group. We're doing it every week. What if we streamed it? I talked a little bit about venue issues, having to, you know, getting squozen, squozen into the corner and having to find another place and, and other, other hiccups that have happened while, like, you know, finding a good place to host the meetup. Th- trying to add internet connectivity to that already challenging puzzle was a little bit difficult. Yeah, that, that was a, a, a <laughs> toothpick too much on the <laughs> camel's back, I think. Yeah. But let's let's talk about finding a venue for an event. Uh, do you want? Do you want? I I could definitely talk a lot about this. You want to start? Yeah, I I have one general thing uh, from most of mostly my experiences being a meetup goer and you know like officer might not be the right word but certainly confider. 
you kind of have to just get used to changing venues every once in a while because the specific thing you're looking for in a venue is empty enough that your meetup can fit in there, but busy enough that it's not going to like shut down immediately. That happened twice. Oh, it happened <laughs> twice with you. Happened at least like five times with my writing group. So like you kind of just got to like roll with the punches as far as I was concerned. Because that that sweet spot uh, frequently falls into is not closing immediately, but probably will close soon. <laughs> the first venue I went to was nearby. It was like around the corner, so it was easy for me to get to. And they were pretty cool. What led to venue number two was the input of most of my community. They all lived in this other neighborhood far away from me and said, hey, let's go to this place. It's great. Uh, we went to that place for a while they didn't like us being a meetup group because mm. a lot of people would show up and and like so this was kind of more of a restaurant than a bar and they did like table service and we were kind of taxing on their uh on their staff when a lot of people would just show up to hang out and not order anything so we were mm -hmm. actually asked to leave the place that we spent the longest and the place where uh the, you know the group re returned to after i left was probably the best working relationship. Like, yeah, the only reason that it became a problem is because they were, like, consistently became too busy for us to have, like, enough space. Mm -hmm. And it just got, like, stressful every single week. Can't speak to what it's like now. I assume it's awesome. And then let's, let's get into, like, how I found a place. Number one, go to places. Hang out. Ex explore bars. Explore restaurants. Explore libraries if they've got like a community room explore coffee shops talk to the staff or the owner they're not scary say hey i i run a i run a group and it's, this is what we're like we we kind of swing between like four and 12 people but sometimes get 20 uh, would you mind if we hung out here once a week and just kind of chat to the staff about what that would be like mm -hmm. that tells you a lot and it tells you a lot about what's going to be comfortable and what's not it definitely ruled out a lot of places where from you I remember one place like was a place that I had been to and then that place closed and then I went to it as it entered its new iteration and it was a completely different vibe. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, this is not gonna work at all. But it's very nice talking to you. Having that communication with the staff is the best thing. Hey, I've got mm -hmm. this group coming, it's gonna be this many people. And that's where kicking people's butts on the RC piece is fucking vital because then you can tell them how many people are coming. And then they know you're coming and they can expect you and say, oh, yeah, you can you can move tables around. That's a good question to ask. Can we move tables around to put a group together? Oh, yeah, just move whatever shit around. We don't fucking care. That's a great answer to that question. That's my venue, <laughs> venue finding advice. I, for my part, uh, I, it leads into what I said before about, like, make sure you find a place that's, like, convenient for you. It, as, as someone less who would run a meetup and more someone who's worked customer service, I definitely would appreciate, as, as a middle manager of a location, if someone told me, hey, is it all right if we have a group meet here? Getting that information a heads up, like, that, that is respectful to the employees. I wouldn't even worry about the business that you're going to. I worry about the employees because the employees like you. The owner probably won't complain. So yeah, having having a good communication with, you know, like the, the the people that work there is definitely a good thing and a good sign if you can establish that easily. Yeah. Okay. Last last note on on venue finding. Um. There are some stress factors to hosting a meetup at a venue. 
but there's also some cost benefit. So yeah, mm -hmm. talk to the bar. Make sure they're they're cool with it because yeah, you're probably bringing them some business, but you're also bringing them some traffic. Now actually, um, you're bringing them some extra work. You want it to be a good mix, and you want everyone to feel good about it. Um, we met on Tuesday nights, which most bars loved because that's the slowest night. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that worked really good for us. Ambition is a, is a fickle mistress. <laughs> I may be an ambitious am individual. <laughs> I may have big ideas that I get very excited about. I would say that these were hit or miss. A lot of them were less good lessons learned. Uh, a lot of them were good stories to tell. A lot of them were were hilariously catastrophic failures. But um, taking the group and saying, "Hey, let's do this project," that's where you want to pump the brakes a little and think real hard and talk to people. Ambition can take you to some cool places. It can also take you to some catastrophic places. Not, nothing nothing really that bad. I would say we, we had some ideas that failed harmlessly. I don't think mm. any, any idea, anything we tried to do, like, failed at a level that, like, cost anyone money or hurt anyone. I think it was mostly... It was mostly harmless, but it was, we had some big ideas that we kind of like, hey, everyone, hey, everyone, everyone, come on, get in, get in, let's do this now. Uh, some of them actually worked mm. out just fine. Uh, I think like uh, one of the learning experiences, says K Penguin, uh, <laughs> one of the ones that I actually had a lot of fun with that I actually would say success was um, we kind of for a while uh, hung out with the, the Washington State Library System. Uh, where uh, they would, like, libraries all over. Okay, we live in Seattle, but but Washington's actually a big-ass state. And uh, a lot of the libraries outside of uh, Seattle would host, like, like just public events. One moment, like, someone from the, from the, um, the, the Greater Washington Library, uh, whatever their association is called, reached out to me and said, hey, you guys got this this art group in in, Se in Seattle. You want to come out to the islands and and just be part of like a little like free mini library like comic convention? And I talked to the gang. He's like, "Hey, you want to do this?" And like a bunch of us went and did it. And they were like, <laughs> and they kind of like made a note. It's like, oh, so so these cool guys from Seattle will come out to fucking like like libraries in in the boonies and and just do do like drawing games and shit so we just started getting calls <laughs> <laughs> and for as long as we had energy for it we'd go out and do these these like little trips and and do like drawing panels and 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 drawing games and, and talk about comics and just, just have a little little table at these adorable little like library one library sized comic conventions and they were all about mm -hmm. just getting people into the library right and it was just a thing we did for for a couple of years where it's just like, hey, the, the, this library way the fuck out there wants to come. Yeah, who want, who's in? Who wants to go? And I'd always be like, I, I would go if me plus two people. I would it's like it has to be at least three of us say, Yeah, I can I'm in. If 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 if, if two if you know, if we didn't make it to three people that wanted to go, I was like, no, nah, I can't do it. I'd just say no, 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 not enough. But if if three or more people were into it, then I would then it's like, Yeah, let's truck out there, let's carpool. And go like like uh, an hour and a half to three hours out of Seattle, 
I think once we took a ferry. <laughs> Yeah. So so that was where ambition kind of like like had a good success. But you know, we we tried some cool stuff. We did like we tried to do like big collaborative. Hey, let's all collaborate. Let's all put something together into a book. It just didn't really work. Ambition's fun. Ambition's cool. Think about it. <laughs> let mm-hmm. let it let it be a learning experience. Let let yourself fail if you're if you're if you're going for it. It might fail. Don't worry about it. But uh, but yeah, just just don't don't let ambition get the better of you, because because you might you might get overly excited about something that ain't gonna work. Closing thoughts. It's rarely fun to do things completely alone. Join join make group meet other artists, have fun, profit. Okay, I could take I could work with this. <laughs> Making art can be very isolating. Never mind COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've got we've got internet communities. We got the the you know we got the online ability to network and, and social media. But social media is kind of falling apart. There's actually a lot of benefits to joining a group to to be around other creative individuals or starting a group to be around other other individuals. There's some challenges. It's a lot of work. It's some energy. You're gonna put some energy into it. Either whether you're starting it and running it or whether you're just joining it, it's gonna take some energy to do it. But like working out, you're gonna get something out of that energy you put in, and you're gonna get more out of it the more energy you put into it. So uh, yeah, I really do recommend trying to hang out with other artists in person. Scary, but um, you learn a lot from other artists. You um, you make friends, and and your art gets better. That's what I got. Today is August seventeenth, two thousand twenty-three, and I'm going to talk about some comics that are on Kickstarter because I think they're pretty neat. And the first comic I got today is. Hanzo, Wrath of Winter by Miguel C. Hernandez. Hanzo is a reluctant shinobi chipmunk who aids a town by taking up arms against an angry ogre who guards and keeps them away from a former food source. Pretty straightforward and simple uh, introduction. Uh, This is... This is a manga. I say that because uh, we're looking at... Just uh, ink work with full color introduction pages, and uh, with with gray tones on the inside, which is a a manga trick that I've seen a, a lot do. Where the first four pages they'll just put more rendering into, and then once and then the rest of the page, uh, rest of the pages they'll kind of like dial it back a little bit to you know to to finish them faster. Um, I've always loved that trick because I feel like once I'm four pages in, I'm invested in the story and I'm good with it being like, you know, dialed down. So the rest of the pages are ink work with grayscale. Um, the characters are they're, they're that kind of furry that's mostly animal. Uh, like that is that is a chipmunk person. They're, they're, they have a chipmunk shaped face. They have a big fluffy tail. That is a chipmunk. It's very manga-like. It's just, like, the aesthetic is manga. We've got just the, 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 the way that they do the ink work, the way they design the, the pages, the action, uh, the panels, the, the speed lines. It's, it's just a manga through and through, and in, in, like, all of the best ways. And just incredible at the action. Like, this is an action story, and the actions feel very followable. I think it's it's easy when you have a very action-packed comic to kind of get lost in it. 
uh, I think like American comics have a tendency to just draw everything so rend so sharply rendered that you can't actually follow the action. Uh, this does all of those really good manga tricks to make the action feel very alive and very animated. It looks fun. Where are we at? Uh, we're looking for uh, we're looking for three k, and we're at um, almost four uh, fourteen hundred, almost to our halfway point, which is great for the first day. I tend to get these really early so that as it goes out to podcasts and streams and whatnot, there's tons of times for people to like like find them and, and react to them. So yeah, one day, almost at half, excellent sign. Next up, so that was a, a fairly like manga style sort of thing. Let's talk about a, a Western action superhero style like fun time. This is The Fog Within by Sean Wood and crew. In the present, there, there is a catastrophic event that takes place. Shortly after, Hunter is suddenly pushed through a fog-like portal, and he doesn't know how he got there. Cole and his, and his elite rebels find and protect uh, Hunter uh, from the Swarm, the soldiers of their era, uh, and their leader in the shadows. They think Hunter is the answer to the prophecy they have always been awaiting to come true. This is a good old American style action comic. They they've got like just like a full art squad making like that immaculate industry level rendering. These guys, it's 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 like everything. It's like um, it's a fun industry action comic that just happened to be an indie title. I get the feeling that uh, Sean Wood is kind of got like this passion project in mind, so he put it together and he got a crew together, and it it just. It looks professional. It looks super good. Like I mentioned, they've got like a full squad putting this together. It's uh, written by Sean Wood, pencils by uh, David Dion, ink by a fellow named uh, A3 Deco, and also uh, Sandro uh, Riberco. Uh, color by Josh Rodriguez and lettering by Letter Squids, whose name I've seen in a couple of these. They seem to be one of the one of the more popular game, uh, guns for hire. Yeah, I'm looking at like these these sound effect the sound effect typography, which is clearly like designed and and hand drawn. You want to talk about fucking guns and explosions and speed lines and statuesque characters and bold sound effect typography? That's that's what you're getting out of this. So, just your good old fashioned American ass like action comic. Uh, looking for twenty five hundred, and we're at uh just a little over uh eleven hundred. So again. Almost at that halfway go halfway point, right on the first day. Super good sign. I love it. That's that's a sign of that's a sign of a healthy Kickstarter. That is. Last up, this is Modern Carapace uh, by Jacob uh, Kudis. This has got a style to it. Oh, I love it. Okay, a living witness to the calamitous emergence of an enormous creature that poisoned the West Coast. Esther has reforged her fear of megafauna into a quest to study them, and eventually a fierce drive to defend their existence. Living in the ruins of an abandoned amusement park with a loyal pirate uh, animatronic named Wed, or W-E-D, Esther has access to a subterranean tunnel system that leads to The Ribs, an, errand wa an arid wasteland that is home to Armacada, a massive, pale, insectoid species that only emerges every seven years. Piloting the Tarantula Hawk, a blue prototype mecha, she heads into the desert to keep a watchful eye on this rare phenomenon 
as a standstorm approaches, but she is not alone. That's so many things! <laughs> um, giant robot to protect a natural megafauna insect creature from a sandstorm and possibly bad guys. <laughs> oh my god, this is dripping with style. I fucking love it. Kyle, you're familiar with, with the blue-orange design tool, right? Mm-hmm. This is using it just, like, everywhere. Like, everything, all the pages that they showed are are blue and orange. Complementary colors. Complementary colors, yes. But, like, it's, it's, what it's doing is the blue is the sky. And the orange is everything else. Uh, it is the people. It is the, the action. It is the desert landscape. Uh, everything is orange and, and kind of, like, shades of gray but when the sky is blue, the sky is fucking blue. And they just use that as like, this is the theme of the story. And it's fantastic. We're looking at, there's some, let's see, very clean ink work, really consistent line weights, crisp design illustrations. Uh, does that thing I love where like the ink is either black in the foreground or tinted in the, in the background. I love when, when folks use that tool. The action, I would describe it as methodical, where there is action. Like, the robot is, the, the lady's piloting this giant robot, and, like, actions happen. But unlike, you know, the last two, which were, which I would describe as action-packed, and, like, a really, really intense manga-style action and really intense, like, like American comic-style action, mm. this has got, like, this very deliberate pacing to the action. Action is definitely happening. But, like, no panel is wasted. It's, it seems very, very deliberate. Uh, the robot design is super dope. The robot has a scarf. That's cool. <laughs> the robot wearing one piece of clothing is super cool. And there's a, a really specific... I'm actually kind of... like my, my vocabulary for describing art is, is really good, and I'm always pushing it to get better. It's kind of tough to say exactly what it is about the character design that I love. It's it's stylized but realistic. So, I, like again, I mentioned that that consistent like ink line weight, but like you know the shapes are human shapes, and I think like it really comes to the eyes. Like the way that they draw eyes is not cartoony at all. It's not stylized at all. They draw eyes like anatomical eyes, but they're still capable of emoting with it, and that's really special. I, that, that's kind of like the kind of like cherry on top that I don't expect from comics, but when it's there, it's just so nice. When people are capable of it, it can, it can do so much. Boy, I'm excited about this one. Uh, so definitely, uh, so it, it could use some love. So it's looking for 3,800, which is a completely reachable goal. Uh, we're only at 1,200 yet, so, but still just the first day. So a long way to go before that, that, uh, before that reaches its, its deadline. That's the comic shop for this week. Kyle, where can people find links to all these? Uh, there will be links in the show notes as well as on your website. Which is jer.art. Uh, if you go there and you click on Jer's Crowdfunded Comic Shop, you'll find links to these and all of the comics I've talked about on the show. Also, I read a comic book. What'd you read? Oh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, y'all. Y'all are going to love this one. 
Let me grab my notes. So I got it, got it in, got it in front of me. Um, this is one we talked. This is one of the Kickstarter ones that we talked about on the show. Uh, I think honestly this season, and and I've got it already, which is fantastic. This is Unlimited Udo, um, <laughs> by uh, written by Adriano Arganello and art by Valentin uh, Della Casas. And published by Pesto Comics. You can go to pestocomics.com to get a get a copy of this one. Ah, uh, hey, hey, Kyle, how do you feel about billionaires? Uh, one of the few things I think is truly and inherently evil in this world. Great, because this story is about murdering them. <laughs> um, Unlimited Udo is about uh, a billionaire named. Uh, no, what's his name? His name is. Um, I wrote it down. And I lost it. Udo Dolos, Udo Dolos, and so he's a he's a tech billionaire. Uh, he's he's an inspiring boss and all that. And um, at one point, he decides that the best way to solve all of the problems of Earth are to clone himself a lot. That doesn't work good. <laughs> so um, the world's richest you know big big old billionaire starts like like he he takes over all the jobs for his own company uh his his clones start you know buying and eating all the resources so there's not a lot left for everyone else and um and so people are panicked and starving and um we reach a point where the 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 government says hey you know what it's just legal to murder clones of this guy. There's too many of them, and the problem is is causing problems for everyone. Um, our protagonist, Hope, is just, you know, a, a, a Udo eliminator for hire. And just, you know, just cold-blooded clone murderer. And um, <laughs> goes on a little adventure about the problems of this society that were caused by one billionaire who said, I'm the best. Hmm. Me. <laughs> what? What if? What if there was more of me? I. Re- it certainly would be good for me. <laughs> and then I'd be everyone, so it would be good for. Everyone. I really wanted to open this one up, lo- like like relating the 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 character to known billionaires in the real world, but no, actually, this guy's on a different level. He's actually kind of incomparable to our to our real world uh, billionaires. The art is clean, colorful, consistent line weights, really just adorable characters in like horrific, grotesque situations. Kind of got I, I I wouldn't say it's got it's got like a touch of a webcomic feel to it, but like not not strongly. I think it's it's definitely like a print comic for Prince comics sake. It's kind of got a cell shaded color to it, and like I love that the most grotesque thing is Udo himself, and all, all the clones <laughs> of Udo. It's like everyone's like all the regular people seem like lovely, and all of the Udos seem awful, and it's it's a really cool way to illustrate it. Um, very like color wise. It's got a really consistent plot. So it's a it's a one-off comic. The entire story is told in this one. And um it's really like purple 
cyan and red and like almost the entire story is those three shades and it does give it a pretty neat um a pretty neat consistency and it, like it kind of like yeah, she's a murderer of 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 people of of cloned humans and so i'm looking at kind of like this one scene of of grotesque violence uh that reddish is really a magenta red and it like it it makes it if you can follow me here fun it makes the gore kind of fun. Um, yeah, that's what I got to say about it. It's a great one-off story if you kind of if you're kind of mad at how billionaires can just use their money to ruin good things. You should go to pestocomics.com and check out Unlimited Udo. Udo, it's fucking fun. That one sounds fun. Uh, Kyle, you had an anime you want to talk about. Manga, technically, okay. although a little bit of the anime too. Uh, there is a series, an extended, a series of series, it's one of those, called Monogatari. Okay. Uh, I've talked to you about it a little bit, but the thing I'd heard about it first is that it is untranslatable. <laughs> uh, a long time ago. I don't know why that got after... me so good. I, it's, I don't know. I love, because I, I, like, I have a general fa fascination with like just the 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 vast difference and and the almost mutual fascination between America and Japan. Mm -hmm. And so that sentence got me good. I love it. <laughs> so uh, uh Kimmy says watching the anime was an experience. I tried to watch the anime. I could only handle one episode. It was incredibly mentally taxing and my dumb eyes made all the reading I had to do uh difficult. <laughs> a thinking man's anime man's says anime. k penguin's husband yes um uh, and it was really interesting but i just couldn't there's a manga now mm -hmm. uh specifically wait. the first the first medium this was wait it, it was, was a light novel series okay it was a light novel series, novel series. then it was an anime, then an anime and now it's a manga, now a manga. that's so yeah. bass backwards uh it's more common than you'd think uh Usually, if it's a light novel and does well, it gets the anime before it gets a manga. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, the manga has allowed me to appreciate a lot of the weirdness. And the the most interesting thing is that I am... It, the, the localization of the manga, I think, is great. Mm. Uh, it definitely, like, where, there, where jokes aren't able to translate at all, they put in different jokes that, you know, carry the same ha-has. Um, when there is uh, something that is mostly translatable but has a little extra com uh, context, they do tend to put a little bit of, like, note in the, the footers and everything. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. But given that I do have some college study in linguistics, every once in a while I'll come across the thing and be like, there's no way this is capturing the entirety of this... Uh, <laughs> of this this you know you Bit. do you know what you're reminding me of is is uh is sung one joe uh talking about the difference between the the official dub and the fan dub mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the scene i'm about to mention i am specifically referring to uh the anime version of the scene because uh i i'm still getting there in the manga i have a feeling it's coming soon but it's one i'd seen out of context uh where main character encounters a cat girl uh, realizes she is a cat girl doing the cat mannerisms 
and says, Hey, um, cat, you should say this tongue twister. And, uh, in the, uh, the English dub, it is like, uh, can you imagine a, uh, manager of imaginary, um, of an imaginary menagerie of animals imagining a menagerie of imaginary animals, like that kind of thing, right? Lots of maz, 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 maz. Right. And the translation, the cat girl then fills all of the maz sounds with meows when she tries to say it back. Right. Um, obviously that, uh, <laughs> yep, yeah, uh, Kimmy remembers that scene from the anime, um, Obviously, it couldn't have been the same tongue twister in Japanese. Tongue twisters don't cross over language they're, barriers they're at all. Pretty fucking specific to the language. And you can hear in the dialogue that it's not a lot of maws; it's a lot of nez and yeah, nyas. because nya, yes. So, yeah. So, from what I knew of Japanese, I knew she was pretty much saying meow, 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 kitty, mini, kitty, meow, 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 kitty, kitty, kitty. Um. I, of course, was curious about this because I, there, I, I figured there had to be something else to it. And I was right because, yes, it's a completely different, uh, it's a completely different tongue twister from one to the other. Like the, the, the meanings are completely different. But not only does translating all, like not only did they, uh, uh, messing up the tongue twister make all the cat noises, it does actually turn all of the words into other words. So it does, like, in addition to the tongue twister becoming a bunch of cute cat noises, it also turns it into gibberish, which is a, a level of humor <laughs> that is just, it's simple, but it, it makes me sad that I don't necessarily get that, like, natively. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? Mm -hmm. Shakespeare. Yeah. I don't believe that in my lifetime I will truly appreciate, I will ever reach a point where I can truly appreciate the grown-level puns of true <laughs> Shakespeare at, at, you know, in, in like, that era of English. Mm -hmm. It's... The, the amount of research you have to do to realize that it's a pun is is kind of too much. But in my heart, I respect it mm -hmm. because I love How much, uh, the worst jokes. I love them. Feed them to me. They give me power. <laughs> out of curiosity, how much Shakespeare have you seen performed? Um, a fair share. Uh, I, I, I haven't thought about Shakespeare in a while, and it would mm -hmm. definitely be something I'd be down to just kind of like, hey, you want to do, do some Shakespeare movie nights like, or something like that? Um. Yeah. Uh. No. I. I. I couldn't provide you with a list right now. I'd have to think about it. But like, no. I've. Right. I've actually I, seen. A I was looking for non-moderate. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. No. Um. What? I actually have seen or read quite a bit of Shakespeare, but it's been a while. So mm -hmm. I feel like revisiting it would be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Man, there is a really, really good rendition of Much Ado About Nothing mm -hmm. starring David Tennant and Catherine Tate. I've heard about this. Uh, it's amazing. They are they, they were uh, a very fun duo in Doctor Who. David Tennant is one of the more famous uh, modern Doctor Who doctors. Yes, yes. And Catherine Tate was one of the companions, and they're just delightful together. And them doing those two characters is just the best unfortunately if it's anything like when i first saw it it is just a 
bitch to find uh, a, a place where you can watch it. But uh, yeah, I, if I can track that down, that'd be a fun one to watch. Listen, I don't support piracy. <laughs> I do not support piracy. What I do support is downloading a car. <laughs> I what? would download a car. I would download 10 cars and put them in weird places. I absolutely would download a car. But Believe I, it or not. But I don't support I piracy. Believe it or not, um, part of the problem when I was first trying to watch this was that it was not available in any car downloady ways either. Mm. Uh, it was just a hard thing to find, period. That might have changed. This was you never uh, know. like nine years ago. You never know. I'm not going to say what I do or do not support. However, I will say that piracy... Is a distribution issue, not a moral. Oh issue. yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I would, I would agree with that. I think, I think, I would, I would have, I would, I would love to have an intellectual uh, discussion about about distribution and piracy later. Not right now. I'm not in the mood. You know what? I am in the mood to talk about. What are you in the mood to talk about? Hey Kyle, you like that? You like? Hey. Yo, oh yo. We're hey, talking about this. Hey, Kyle. <laughs> hey, Kyle. Fight me. Fight me, you coward bitch. Fight me. Let's go. Let's fight. Come on. I want to fight. Let's fight. Hey. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Let, oh, fight me. Oh, are you talking about Street Fighter? I am talking I, about... I thought you were talking about the other thing. <laughs> I am talking about Boulevard Battler. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, my God. I love... All right. I have never liked i love fighting games i've never liked street fighter mm -hmm. street fighter is not my preferred fighting game uh i like um i liked capcom's uh marvel vs. capcom games all the every, everything with a marvel superhero in it uh i liked those i like uh skull girls i love tekken um i like some anime fighters and and samurai showdown one of my all-time favorites this is a this is the start of a huger conversation, but um, don't care. I, I didn't care for Capcom controls. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. That's its its own thing. Street Fighter Six is the shit. <laughs> Street Fighter Six is fantastic. Oh my god. Um, mm -hmm. Kyle and I, all right, so um, I'm, I'm unemployed at the moment and uh, didn't have a lot of cash, but my birthday came around, and, um, and Fermata said, here's, here's Street Fighter. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Uh, and so I got my Street Fighters, and um, this is, never mind that it's my favorite Street Fighter, it's the first Street Fighter I like. Um... I mostly want to talk about modern controls. I touched modern controls and I was like, okay, got it. Can't. I can't. I've been playing fighting games too long. I know my corridor circles. I know my dragon punches. I have to unlearn the old way in order to learn the new way. So I'm focusing on classic controls. Mm -hmm. Kyle, you're 
excuse me, Kyle, you're doing modern controls. Yep. How are you liking it? I love it. I, this is the first fighting game I've actually felt like I can play. So. At all. Yeah. So um, the other night, uh, Kyle and I, uh, offline, because you know what? You know what? We stream a lot. We, we put a lot of content out there. We kind of needed something for us. And we we're like, you know what? Let's just let's just do some Street Fighter for us. And had a chance to actually like hang out as friends, which uh, like mm, that's nice. It's real nice. Mm. It's real nice to do something that's not for work. <laughs> <laughs> Slight aside, uh, uh, I think it's um, uh, what's, the, what's the guy from the Washington Post? Uh, uh, Gene Park from the Washington Post uh, said something that was like uh, they used to say uh, do do what you love for a job and you'll never work a day in your life. No. Do what you love for work and you'll work every day of your life for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's the problem. Every day is your day off. Also, you never have any days off ever again. That's the problem with content creation as, as, a, uh, as, a, as a business, which Kyle does full time. Um, so yeah, having Street Fighter being for us, I really liked that. Mm-hmm. The other thing of note is that Kyle whomped my shit in. <laughs> Kyle beat the fuck out of me. And I couldn't have had more fun. <laughs> it was incredible. I, as a person losing the competitive video game, was having a blast. Modern Controls is the shit. It fixed fighting mm -hmm. games. Many, many friends of mine who are into fighting games used to uh, say two things about them. As one, they are turn-based, mm -hmm. and uh, two, they are about decision-making. I believed them, of course. However, uh, I only ever got one turn, and the turn was spent, the decision I made on it was always how to get my one just regular super to actually go off at all, ever. Um and so, yeah, I just, I never really felt like I was able to play the game. And I can play this one. And, yeah, I, I want to, but, you know, as as the night went on, you started to get a little, uh, you know, win uh, win upon win here and there. And I, I have absolute confidence you'll catch up to me. Uh, and playing with my friend Loopy Fritz. Uh, I am normally, Loopy Fritz just slams me into the ground, whether he wants to or not. And I am competitive. I'm still mostly losing. However, I can put up a fight. It's awesome. Yeah, no. I've been making decisions and taking turns. Yeah, um, and so I'm, like, not good at Street Fighter. Street Fighter is not, not the one that I like, uh, but I like this one, and I'm having fun. I'm really enjoying World Tour mode, which is another conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And Kyle's the first human being I fought in the game, and what, what I felt like playing you is, because uh, there's, there's uh, the, you know, the, uh, the satire site uh, Hard Drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Hard Drive had a, had a joke headline that says, Man too good at fighting games to play against friends, but too bad at video games to, to play online or in tournaments. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel that, where it's like, I've been playing fighting games my whole life. I was very good at specific ones at specific times. I was a killer at Samurai Showdown 3, Samurai Showdown 4, Tekken 3, and Tekken Tag. Squirrel Horde says, man, doesn't that just describe me at board games? Yeah, I know. I understand. 
<laughs> so so I kind of had my heyday, right? And uh, oh, I should also say uh, Smash Brothers Melee and Brawl. I wouldn't describe myself as a killer anymore. Um, I'm I'm pretty good at Tekken Seven. Still pretty good at Skullgirls. I want to play more Sam Show because the new because the current Sam Show is awesome. It just has bad net code and was on um fucking um uh, Epic. Epic for a while. And I finally have it on Steam. The the modern controls thing is the most genius thing I've ever encountered. I mentioned that Kyle was whomping me. It felt super fair. It felt extraordinarily fair. So number one. Nothing that Kyle did was something that I would say broke the game. It's stuff that, like, a more skilled player would have the the input knowledge to do. I'm going to talk, I'm going to describe and explain uh, one specific fighting game concept. Um, Kyle, do you know what hit confirm means? Uh, sort of. All right, I'll explain it from scratch. So you have your your punch kick moves, and then you have your fireballs and glowing uppercuts. Those are your special moves. And then you have your cinematic ass-whooping move. That's your super move. So normals, specials, and supers. So everyone wants to do a super move. It does a lot of damage, and it looks super fucking cool. The input to do it is kind of complicated. Uh, in Street Fighter, it's... You take the joystick, you put, go down, diagonal, forward, down, diagonal, forward, and then you push a button. So you have to do a quarter circle with your joystick twice and then push a button. You could do it. A little tricky. You kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little rusty at it. Yes? I'm vaguely, I was at least under the impression that they are unique to each, uh, each character. Or maybe I'm thinking of something All else. of the... Uh, they, they used to be unique. They used to be more complicated. They have normalized it slowly over time. And different video games and different iterations of Street Fighter have done different things. In Street Fighter okay. 6, all of them are two quarter circles. So down, diagonal, forward, down, diagonal, forward. Or okay. the same thing but backward. And then you push one of your six buttons. This is in classic controls. So... You do the input and and little cinematic, I'm going to beat you up. And then you do the first part of the move. And then the other character can then either get hit or block it or dodge it. There is defensive things you can do to not, quote unquote, eat the super. And so just doing it and throwing it out there, that's what's called a raw super. Where you just did the move and you hoped it hit. Got it? So the term hit confirm means you did a little jab first. And so that jab knocked the other character off kilter just a little. And then you did the input. And because the other person is off kilter, they can't block or dodge. The first hit that you did confirms that your super will also hit. Hit confirm. Got it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In modern controls, you have this little button you can hold down that's the auto combo. Combo means I did a little jab and then I did a medium hit and then I did two harder hits and because I knocked you off kilter with that with that jab, I know that the other four hits can hit. That's a combo. Uh it also involves animation canceling. Don't worry about that. I'm not going to get into that. Um you can hit confirm 
into your special moves, your fireballs or your shiny uppercuts, and you can hit confirm into your super moves. This is what's genius, and I love getting my ass whomped by it. If Kyle made a good decision and got a good jab on me and it opened me up, Kyle would then hold the auto combo button and just push the same button a whole bunch of times. And the video game will say, okay, got it. You made a good decision. Here's your reward for that good decision. I'm going to do the best combo that you could do after that decision that you made. So you did the good, you actually, you human being, Kyle, did the good decision and got that first jab. And that opened me up. And then the video game says, here's your reward. You got it. Now, because you used auto combo, the damage is 80% of what it would have been if you actually pushed the, the buttons to do that. Mm -hmm. But if you've got, if you've got the resources to do a super duper crunchy cream filled ultra god move, your auto combo button's gonna say, here it is. You here's your damage. And I love it. Kyle hit confirmed every fucking super. Every fucking super was hit confirmed. And I was just like, yep, yep, that's something that character could do. I made a bad decision. I got opened up by that first jab. And that character can absolutely go jab, punch, punch, kick, super move, and do a fuckload of damage to me. That is something that character is allowed to do. And a skilled character would do the inputs for it. All that's different is, is Kyle has a button that says, okay, the complicated inputs, fuck that. I'm going to take a 20% penalty on the amount of points I get for the score. But fuck you, though, my super lands. Mm -hmm. this puts pressure on me, a person who's been playing the game for 20, 25 years, or not this game, but fighting games in general. I'm playing a game of, I need to make good decisions and then push the right buttons to get the most points out of those decisions. Kyle is playing a game of, I need to make good decisions. And that second part, that, oh, I, now, oh, I made the good decision, now I need to react well and do that all the inputs, you don't have to play that game. You, you do a little, a few fewer, a little bit fewer points, but you, you're just playing the decision game, and your decisions are always rewarded consistently. It feels so good as a person that wants to be technical at this and learn all the nuance and all the little things, like I get a punch on him. I, I actually kind of struggle with hit confirms. It's, 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 there's a lot of things I need to do with my hands in order to get the jab on you, punch, punch, kick, and then do the super. And you being able to do it automatically is kind of like pushing me to get better in the way that I've always wanted to. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's like, I, I, I can't stress enough how much it doesn't feel like cheating. Mm. It feels like I'm playing the game I want to play, which is I want to be very good and skilled and technical at this, and I want like the decisions that I make to matter, and I want the decisions that my opponent made to matter. So if you made a good decision, you want my shit in. Yeah, of course you did, because you made a good decision, and I should have to eat that punishment. And you can just make the good decision, and enjoy the fucking rewards for it. And mm -hmm. on top of it all, 
the modern controls say, "Oh, hey, do you want to do you want to do another twenty percent damage? P practice the the real one. It's right here. You can still do mm. the real one for the full damage if you want to. You can still do it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm getting my ass <laughs> whomped, and I love it. It's so good." Shiny uh, asks if I'm still playing the British lady. You bet I am. You bet he is. I actually really, uh, I've, I've uh, unlocked her her moves in uh, in story mode. Uh, I've really mm -hmm. stuck with it. Mm. Uh, I just like I just isn't spamming spiral arrow just so it's, satisfying. It's not. I just have her punch kicks attached, and I have like some other super uh, moves. Uh, I see. I see. Um, I actually don't have spiral kick attached. So but but like no, her her uh her her neutrals and her her fundamentals are just like, oh that's a Um, I mean okay, fucking god damn it. So wasn't sure I was gonna get it. It was gotten for me as a as a as a birthday present. Cool. Uh as the game is coming out, I'm looking at all the characters and like, all right, there's a, there's some options here. Um uh, kind of like, kind of like DJ. Kind of reminds me of my old martial arts uh, master, who was a Capoeira guy. Um, kind of like Dalzim. Dalzim was like the first Street Fighter character I ever played, and I hear he's really strong. So, kind of like that. Uh, don't hate. Uh, you know, Ken and Ryu. Good old fashioned you know, fireball uppercut spin kick. It's not Feet Girl. Okay, I'm gonna defend Feet Girl, but mine isn't Feet Girl. That's Jury, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um. Our friend Alan said, I think that Jer is going to like Kimberly, uh, the spray paint graffiti ninja. So it's Kimberly, the spray paint graffiti ninja. <laughs> and then I'm talking, I'm talking to Fermata about it. Fermata just recently got the game and, and he's getting into it. And and he's you know he doesn't know anything about Street Fighter. He's really just kind of diving in from scratch. Uh, he's more of an FPS guy anyway. And um, and so he asks me, so who are you maining? And I was like, yeah, pretty much Kimberly. And he fucking like, this the fucking goddamn it! I knew it! I knew it! I knew the second I saw that character that was gonna be Jared's character. I was like. <sighs> <laughs> So anyway, it's Kimberly. And um, mm -hmm. and the funny thing is, like, Kimberly as my main doesn't hit as hard. So uh, in, in previous Street Fighters, I really kind of liked Ibuki, who was, a, who was also a ninja. But I didn't really click with her very well. I didn't really click with anyone in, in previous Street Fighters. Yeah, I've really struggled to get into it. Um, yeah, Kimberly... She's cool herself. She's an artist and and loves music. That appeals to me. Uh, Alan says she looks like grown up Jet. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I could see it. I I I know what grown up Jet is like, and she has actually a very different aesthetic. But like, I I see the connection there. Um, my interest in Kimberly as both a character and and a move set is is like pretty. I'd say it's like yeah. Yeah, I like this character. But I think, like, everyone expected me to fucking love this character. And I was like, no, nah, she's cool. <laughs> like, 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 my, my breakdown of it is just, like, I'm kind of surprised she doesn't have a dive kick. And at least, at least I don't think she does. And, like, I'm kind of, like, I'm used to being a projectile character. And she is a, like, she is a projectile counter character, 
where she gets mm. around your projectiles to get into your face. Um, but it's it's weird because like the first thing I learned about Street Fighter is quarter circle forward punch is a is a fireball, and so I will instinctively do that even though that's not a very that's not a move I should use with Kimberly when when I think that I should be throwing a fireball. It's actually a very bad move for those times. I actually kind mm. of fit trying. I yeah I like I like your um your your cami cami gets thrown button. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, I like Kimberly, and I actually really like Dalzim. He's very weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I like DJ. DJ is very cool, too. Shiny likes uh, Jamie. Jamie is fucking cool. Um, I don't particularly like playing him myself, but he's cool, and his music is the best, and I say this as someone who thinks uh, Kimberly's music is pretty fucking good. You're an artist, and it's really easy to kind of make art on your own, in a bubble, in your room, because the world outside is scary and people are kind of a lot of work. But there's a lot you can get from hanging out with other artists. You learn how they do stuff. You can see, realize that you got shared struggles, shared experiences, and you actually learn kind of a lot about how to draw when you got something to draw. Because when you got something to draw, you should draw it. You probably won't die. <laughs>